And now it's time for Kadao Classics. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the third or fourth or whatever. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cadaver Classics. With me, as always, is Steven. How's it going, Steven? Uh, doing good, man. And that was that was much better by way, the way the second time around. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave all those failed intros in. I feel like it gives the the show a little bit more quote unquote personality. You yeah, know? yeah, it makes the listener feel like, hey, I could do this shit. <laughs> you know what, people? You can't. There's a lot that goes into this that only us highly trained podcasters can actually do. Going without a net here, people. It's dangerous, dangerous work. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I am still a little worn out from uh, recording the douchecast on Saturday. Yeah, and th- and that's the thing about when we get in, get in the situation where, like, because you know, we've, we've put this show off for, what, a month now? Oh, my gosh, yeah, at least, I mean, yeah. E- every fucking time we get to record, something fucking happens. Yep. And and so we just talked, like, two days ago. I was like, oh, what do we got to talk about that we didn't already talk about, like, yesterday? <laughs> Oh well, yeah, that plus uh, James was just so hostile. Oh my God, yeah. J- James you needs got- to fucking settle down. Hopefully, hopefully by next month he'll have got his Prozac prescription <laughs> renewed or something. And- <laughs> yeah, I just I just wanted to basically make sure everybody who's listening to this make sure to go check out the latest douchecast. Uh, I I what's the feed address for the douchecast? Is it douchecast feedburner? Feeds.feedburner.com slash douchecast5k.com. Maybe that's um, that's something we should have found. I think it's douchecast5000. Let's see. Douchecast5000. Douchecast5000? Yeah. Oh, it's 5K. Douchecast5. Oh, no, no, no. No, it's not. No, our website is douchecast5k.com. The feed is feeds.feedburner.com slash douchecast5000. And and, And yeah, you need to go there. I did that backwards. I don't know why the fuck I did that. I wasn't thinking do- when, when I set it up. <laughs> what are you going to do? It doesn't matter. The The thing is, is the site is, un- let's just say it's under construction. When actually it's just basically Mike hasn't gotten around to dicking around with it yet. Oh, and, and we haven't got on Steve Wan's ass enough, apparently. No, we'll, we'll have to do that. Saturday, I think we called him out in public, and then now this time. So, yeah. You guys, If he's I still promise- listening, then hopefully he's oh, getting yeah, a message. Sure. Uh, I just, I just think that uh, the last douchecast was epic, and uh, people need to make sure to check that out. You'll, I, I think you'll see a different side to a lot of us. Yeah, it was, um, it was not pretty in places. It was a little surreal I to wept. be part of it. <laughs> oh man, we were, yeah, we were gonna reach through the the internets and strangle each other. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a good time though, and and that's the nice thing about it. We can we can agree to disagree, and you know we're still still brothers at the end of the day. But well, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, it's all it's all in good douche fun. That's what douches do, right? Absolutely, my friend. We treat each other like douches, and it's just all okay. Uh, you know, I do have some good news, I, and I don't know if you heard this. This is just an announcement. I figured I'd make um, that the Cadaver Lab has been nominated for a Rondo Award. What the fuck is that? Exactly. You don't know. Apparently, it's a big deal. I've never heard about it before this year. But Vaughn Vaughn uh, texted me, dude. Did you know that Cadaver Lab got got uh, nominated for a Rondo Award? I'm like, no, I don't even know what that is. It's a big deal, dude. Vaughn okay. did that. Yes. You know, for somebody that doesn't give a shit about all the awards and shit, he he seems to have his finger on the pulse of the award 
podcast community. <laughs> I think that he's just bummed out that we couldn't get him a win on the Splat Academy Awards. Did he not win? Uh, no, I don't think so. Actually, I guess I, I guess I don't know for sure, but I think that they sent out the winner and uh, he didn't get an email. And uh, so, whatever. Uh, that, that's that's very disappointing to me. Well, he let's put it this way, Vaughn has uh has one of the most original podcasts out there and he's just such a lovable guy you know he is he's lovable and he's fucking knowledgeable and yeah absolutely that's the thing i mean nobody i don't think there's anybody that does this that knows as much about obscure fucking movies as vaughn he is absolutely he i mean he puts me to fucking shame he puts you to shame he knows his fucking shit no, I totally. We are, already know you don't know shit. It's the yeah, shit. that that's that was called an attempt at humor. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. That's yeah, all right. But yeah, if you're not if you're not listening to Motion Picture Massacre, you're a big fucking loser. <laughs> I'm just gonna fucking put it out there. Well, chances are you are anyway. So even if you do listen, but you're okay in our books if you listen. Yes, we we love you regardless. <laughs> You know, I'll tell you what, you know, the edge you get on, on the douche cast, you get, you have a little bit of an edge. At least I do. When I go into the douche cast for some reason, I don't know. The douche cast is almost a way just to kind of let things, the things that have been bugging, just let it out, you know? And, you know, I treat it a little bit like that and man, I can, I'm, there's still some uh, holdover from that right now. Oh, really? It's a little chippy. And I, I, I freaking douche cast. Gotta love it. I mean, and once again, talking to Vaughn. If if you ever get a chance to talk to Vaughn, I mean, I know you talk to Vaughn and I talk to Vaughn. Right. It's almost like talking to a different person. There's still that kind of fuck you. Right. But it's fuck you and I love you. Right. When, when you're talking to him in private. Right. I mean, he's like, yeah, you suck a big cock, but you know, you're kind of cool. Right. <laughs> he's all nice. And then he, and then he, uh, yeah, he's... He, I think, you know, I just think he's just, uh, uh, he's he's just grown up in a very male dominated society where where they teach you that you need to be tough and, and show no emotion and nothing. You're just gonna let me go. go uh, yeah, I was gonna see where that was going, and then no, you, then we it, get it was, back. Uh, then then we can get back to about how emotionally stunted you are as well. Right. Yeah. That's that. That was a consensus at the end of uh, the douche cast because I didn't identify with the main character of the movie. You know, just go listen to the douche cast. When's that gonna be out? By the way. Fuck, I don't know. Probably, probably the end of the week. I I've got this huge epic JAFMP I'm working on. I've got. It, mm. uh, I will have it out on the 23rd. Oh, cool. And then once I'm done with that, and well, well, shit. While we're talking about that, I'm gonna fucking give myself a plug and fuck do you it. if you don't like it. No, um, I do like it, but uh, f me anyway. Yeah, fuck you. All right. Um, <laughs> let's see. The 23rd. It's the 65th anniversary of the raising of the flag on Mount Sarabachi. At Iwo Jima. And so the next JFMP, I'll be talking about the movies Flags of Our Fathers and uh, Letters from Iwo Jima. And I have a very special guest, uh, Chief Warren Officer Woody Williams. He received the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions there at Iwo Jima on that very day. So this will be the 65th anniversary of his actions there and the flag raising. And his story is absolutely fascinating. Little farm boy from West Virginia. He's, I think he said he was five foot six, five foot five. Mm. Just a little guy who ended up uh, taking out a bunch of Japanese bunkers and winning the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, which is, you know, 
for those of you in other countries, it's the highest award that our country gives for valor in action. And he's just a super generous guy. I went in expecting maybe an hour of his time and ended up being there for like four hours. Really? And it's just really good stuff. I'm working on trying to get the interview down. Right now I'm at about three hours. Uh, with well, the dude, show, this is a show four hours. So it, it is going to be an epic show because I don't really want to cut a whole lot. So, uh, so yeah, that will be out on the 23rd. Uh, my tribute to the men and women in uniform serving around the world. Well, and you know what? That's, that's awesome. If it's, I mean, this is, this is this big deal, man. I mean, this is a special episode. I, I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I don't know if you, if you're done editing it, but I'd say leave, leave in as much as you can. I mean, Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Just because it, it, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm looking forward to it. In fact, I gotta watch. I'm gonna watch uh, those two films uh, before I before I uh, listen to your episode. So probably not till this weekend or something like that. But we'll see. But I'm pretty excited. Cool, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think you know, even if you're not in. Oh, and and that's the other thing. It will be a profanity-free show. Uh, I, I managed to keep from crossing throughout. The, yeah, I managed to keep you know, both out of respect for Woody because he is a very devout Christian now. His wife kind of instilled instilled in him after the war and mm-hmm. kind of grounded him. And so it's you know it's something that's very important to him and you know out of respect for him and and the fact that I think this story is so important. I want, I want you to be able to share it with whomever you like without having to worry about cringing every time I say fuck. You know, if you want, it's one of those you can listen with the kids and say, you know, you know this is that part of history or what have you without Man, having to worry. So I don't know what's going to be more epic. The actual, the actual, the actual uh, show or the fact that I managed not to curse. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's rough in a couple of places. As a matter of fact, I, I was going to qu- quote cl- like Clint Eastwood in part of it. Uh-huh. And and I'll be damned if like he didn't say fuck. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it's like, oh well, I can't use that quote. But. Well, and the, and the problem is, is if you use other names like F and this and that, and you, instead of just dropping the F bomb, you just sound like an idiot. Yeah, and I don't know, you know? anybody that does that because no, I don't. I don't either. Yeah, that's so fucking lame. What, what a what a lame shit man. Yeah, uh, I I don't <laughs> want to be a pussy about it. Either do it or don't. That's right. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Lauren Bacall said in uh, God, what was the name of that movie? I don't know. Oh my God, the one with James Garner and uh, Jack Lemmon. Hey, I know who those two dudes are. I don't know who the lady is. You don't know who Lauren Bacall is. Uh, I, I I bet you if I saw her, I would recognize her. Oh my but God, I can't she was Humphrey Bogart, Bogie and Bacall. Jesus Christ. But anyway, she have seen any Humphrey Bogart movie. Oh my god. You still haven't watched Casablanca? Oh, she's, she's hot though. Laura oh, McCall. Oh yeah, she's fucking gorgeous. Even wow, look at her. in her sixties. She's still looking pretty decent. Really? But anyway, Jack Lemon says says something and she's like, if you're going to say it, just fucking you know, just fucking say it. Wow! Wow! So, I would I would uh, listen to her because she's uh, oh she, oh my god she's got gorgeous. an amazing voice yeah <laughs> she's got that husky voice oh my god yeah oh man it reminds me of you know uh, how to whistle don't you just put your lips together and blow uh, you know what I'm sure that was sexy if she said it, it, it yes it was. I think I think your voice is maybe just a tad too husky for that to work on me. 
Oh, it didn't work on you? No. no I'm a little disappointed now. Oh, well, well, I mean, it worked, but <laughs> in a different way. Oh, you know, okay. It, fair enough. It, it, it different receptors. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that's sweet, man. Well, that's going to be awesome. Looking forward to the show. That yeah, show. Cool. You've been, you've been putting a lot of work into that one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a long time coming and, and again, a lot of scheduling conflicts because even at 89 years old, I mean, he still travels the country. He mm-hmm. donates a lot of his time in particular, his, uh, brother, I guess was at, I'm thinking the battle of the bulge mm. and the, he, he does a lot of work uh, as far as post-traumatic stress Oh really? Awareness because his brother did have a really rough time coming home after the war. So huh. and he he does a, does a lot of trying to make the public aware that this is a real thing. And at 89? He, yeah, he's 89 years old. And I hope I'm not drooling and shitting in my pants. Yeah, really. And the, that's the thing that this guy is as sharp as a fucking tack. You'd never know. I mean, he's as sharp now as the day I met him 20 years ago. Oh, cool. Oh, actually, actually, I think I've known him since I was about 12 years old, but I didn't know who he was. You know right. what I mean? It was during the rededication of the Statue of Liberty. I don't know if you remember in the 80s, they did the big restore no. restoration job. They went and cleaned up all the copper and shit and uh, replaced the parts that were you know damaged. And this was something, and so they had this big rededication ceremony, and there was President Reagan, and Lee Iacocca, and mm-hmm. Woody Williams. And I'm like, no way. I'm like, what the hell's Woody doing? <laughs> and that's when Mom's like, did you not know he's a Congressional Medal of Honor winner? I was like, well, that's no. Sweet, dude. And so then, you know, it completely changed the way I looked at the guy. It's like right. I said, he's just a little, you know, a little old man. But, um, oh, and that's, that's another thing, uh, on discovery channel, there's a show, I think it's called sons, sons of guns. Hmm. I think it airs on Wednesday nights. Uh, he recently appeared on an episode of that, uh, firing a flamethrower for the first time since the war. Really? Yeah. And, uh, this is because he was making a joke about how much heavier it is. Oh, right. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. <laughs> 40 it, years it just, later. Yeah. It's, He's like, it wasn't this heavy when I was 19 years old. Now that right. I'm, you know, 89, these things are heavy. <laughs> Strapping 70 tons of fuel to your back. And like I said, I hope I don't have a problem carrying around my colostomy bag. Yeah, I'll probably have a 70-pound colostomy bag because I'm so full of shit. <laughs> That's excellent. Let's see. You got anything, you got anything else, my man? Well, I'll tell you what, I uh, blew my load on Saturday. Uh, there's nothing, I have nothing to report uh, other than uh, just uh, the same shit that no one wants to hear about. So, <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's talk some peeping Tom. Oh, you were do that or uh, you were talk some balls. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. You got, we got some ball talk lined up. Yeah. So let's hit it. It's time for ball talk, bitches. Spanning the globe to bring you the latest in testicular news. It's time for Ball Talk. <laughs> uh, this time out. Uh, blowfish testicles poisoned seven diners in Japan. Whoa, whoa, whoa what? Blow, oh, blowfish testicles. Blowfish. As, <laughs> as, as you know, uh, was it? <laughs> 
fugu is a delicacy in Japan, but puffer fish is, of course, very poisonous. And if it is not prepared properly, you can fucking die. I did not know that this is the first, and you have to have like a special license to prepare, you know, fugu in Japan. Right. Dude, but, let me ask you I something. did not know that there were balls involved in this. I, you know, and I've heard the same thing. However, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked that uh, puffer, fi- puffer fish have testicles in the first place. To start yeah. out with there. I mean, I don't see them floating around there when, you're, when they're swimming around. That would be very uncomfortable. And, yeah, but, and probably just a big target for uh, for predators. Yeah, little you, fish to come knock them. <laughs> yeah, plus it's, plus it's not like very you know, aerodynamic. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to be sleek if you're going to be a fish. And <laughs> big old fucking balls. yeah, big old fucking set of balls hanging down. It seems like the drag would really slow you down. Oh yeah, which which may explain why they're poisonous. It's it's a defense mechanism to offset the fact that they're not very fast fish. Right. And they and what's their other big defense mechanism? They blow up like a fucking balloon. Right. So I mean, it's like this is the most pointless fish in the world. <laughs> At least they don't blow up their scrotum. I'm I'm thinking yeah. maybe that's what that's what blows up because I know when I'm threatened by predators. <laughs> I inflate my scrotum to like ten times its normal size, and they <laughs> as, as spikes on the end. But so so yeah, so they eat these these fish balls. They eat the fish balls, and of course it was improperly prepared. So now seven people uh, ended up in the hospital. Well, you know what? Let me let me ask you something. Do you think it's uh, do you think it's something prestigious to be? Uh, to actual be like certified in prepping fish balls or I mean is it is it kind of okay that you don't know how to handle the balls right you know I'd have to I'd have to wonder about that I mean at the same time you know there's only so many fish ball handlers you know that can obtain a license <laughs> what do you do for a living I handle I, fish I balls I handle fish balls yes I, I you start with juggling them and then <laughs> But to me, to me, all right. First off, who orders fish balls anyway, dude? Dude, I think that's the million dollar question. Okay, all right. I, I think if you order those, it's almost karma that you get poisoned. I, 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 mean, I have to agree there because you just add in the fact. Well, oh yeah, I'd like to eat some fish testicles. Right. All right. First off, if you're eating any kind of testicles, I gotta, I gotta wonder why. I mean, yeah, because there's exactly. always so many other parts of animals that are, are perfectly fucking edible. And I've, I've seen people try to eat, like, a, like a fucking the, with the prairie oysters. Or a Rocky Mountain oyster around yeah. here. And, yeah, and I've seen them do it on, like, you know, that you know, fear factor or whatever. Right. And it's, like, so fucking disgusting. Oh, and yeah. They're so, and they're so tough and chewy and shit. And if, and Speak from experience. Well, I mean, I've I've read about like cannibalism and stuff, and so so testicles to me, you know, that's not the part I want. But then you, you factor, you add into that the fact that not only are you eating fish balls, but it could possibly kill you. <laughs> Dude, I think it's, it should it, kill it can, you. It's, it's, you, it's, you take the manliness of another creature and. and, and and, and use them to sustain your own life, man. It's some kind of 
it should be some kind of immediate karmic reaction. You gotta fucking wonder about these goddamn Japanese. <laughs> I mean, I no 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 offense to any of our or, or Asian listeners, but why? <laughs> Honestly, why? Well, I, you know, it, it's I, it. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to even start with with that because there are so many things about Japanese culture that I just do not get. That are you know, and that's and that's exactly all it is is cultural differences. Maybe they see ball eating different over there. You know, I can't see some. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how they can see it differently. But you know what? I have never been to Japan. Nor have I, my friend. But my my whole thing is, yeah, you know, my favorite my favorite food in the world is like very rare prime rib. Sure. All right, but if I came, if if I found out, if you know, when I looked at a menu and said, "Oh, extra rare cow balls," <laughs> I'm not going to fucking order it. No, no doubt. Extra rare cow balls that can fucking kill you. I'm definitely having the chicken. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna try it. Besides the choking hazard, I'm not gonna eat anything that will potentially kill me. You know, immediately. I mean, I'll eat all sorts of stuff that'll kill me over time. You know, but yeah. But but I will I will, I will say this. You know, looking at, at the picture of you know this dish, mm-hmm. I mean, it is. It, it looks like a beautiful fucking flower. The way they prepare it. It looks like a vagina. No, it's more like a more like a. Oh God, I'm thinking more of a rhododendron, maybe. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it, it. I mean, it, it looks beautiful, but it it also looks more like a place setting rather than a fucking food. Right. And oh, th- man. you just spend way too much time on these fucking fish balls to fucking get them to look like this. <laughs> no. And and I'm just wondering because I mean, like I said, the presentation, you know, because because I'm a big Gordon Ramsay fan, I watch the fucking you know Hell's mm-hmm. Kitchen and stuff. And yeah, and presentation is important. And I'm just wondering when Martha Stewart is going to do her fishball uh, segment. You know, show you how to make fishballs more fucking presentable. To well, I'm thinking Martha Stewart will sit there and handle them and overhandle them until they disintegrate. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know that she's ever touched any kind of balls in her life. Exactly. <laughs> oh man, I'm with you there. And then she goes to jail. No balls in there. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking she had a good fucking con there. I'm not not I'm not saying she's a lesbian. I mean, if she was, I, I kind of feel sorry for lesbians, really. <laughs> you know, you know, I don't know a heck of a lot about her, but uh, when you say she's hot for an old lady, come on. Yeah, she's she's not. Are you serious? That was a trap. Oh well, I fell for it. I mean, she's she's not bad, okay, but she would get on my fucking nerves because like I'd come in. And like take off my clothes from work, and she'd be like, "Oh, don't you know you have to match up? You know, sort the fucking shits by colors and whites." And I'm like, "What? Fuck you!" I have you, honey. I here's the here's the cozy here's a little sock cozy for your discarded you know socks. And it's like what? It, you and take that, you know, put it on your chip and that on. Yeah, I could this do that. Yeah, why don't you make me a fucking ball cozy there, fucking Martha? You know that's my that's one of my funniest jokes around here. My wife's always knit or not knitting, but the other thing, I can't remember what it's called. Crocheting. Yeah, another trap. 
Sorry, just teasing. But uh, so she's always crocheting these uh, hats, these you know big woolly hats. And my, my funniest joke that will never get old is, oh sweet, another ball warmer. And she just doesn't think it's that funny. I she doesn't. Oh, and I, don't, I don't understand it because it kills is she me. She Japanese every time. or something? She must be. She must be. <laughs> Not appreciate that fucking brilliant humor. Freaking another. Well, maybe she did it the first twenty-seven times, but yeah, maybe I need some new uh, material. Yeah, you might work, might want to work on that. Hey, what, what, you, what you need to do is get her to crochet your pubes into a permanent ball cozy. <laughs> no freaking way. I could not sit still that long. Well, you could, like, cut them off and just give them to her. Oh, that's terrible. I got the visual now. Yeah, just give her, like, a fucking Ziploc bag full of your pubes and say, here, why don't you see what you can crochet out of this? You know what would happen? The uh, next divorce. day I'd find myself eating a pube sandwich. <laughs> Well, so make lunch for me. Send it off to work with me. Here you go, honey. Well, at least it wouldn't be fugu. That's true, and I probably wouldn't die. Yes, uh, there you go. Anyway, uh, that's all we got for ball talk this week. That's uh, all we that's got. It. You say that as if there's uh, that wasn't enough. That was excellent. Yeah. <laughs> was that another submission by Johnny T? Uh, I believe it was, my friend. Oh, my goodness. He's keeping us up to date on ball news from around the world. Yes. So thank you again, Johnny. Uh. <laughs> Don't you love when you end a segment? Oh, groan, it's over. <laughs> oh, that is typical cadaver lab. Vote for us at the Rondo Awards, rondoawards.com. I've got, to, I've got to look this shit up because. R O N D O A W A R D.com. And then, uh, yeah. The reason I brought it up is because I wanted to talk a little bit of shit, but. Uh, for another what, funny thing to happen, but the best in gay and lesbian programming. Sure. All right. Awesome. Well, what else do you think we'd get nominated uh, for? Uh, let's see. Best television, best classic DVD, best classic DVD collection. Oh, I like that Lon Chaney collection. Oh man, somebody finally released the Phantom. See, I am on. See, I am. If you're not listening to JFMP, you're not getting the pulse of things. Covered Lon Chaney. One, I covered once every Phantomus. six months, you'll get an update on what's going on. Yeah, but see, see here, I brought Phantomus back to the forefront, and they now they released the thing, best horror documentary, best horror. Good God, there's like a lot. Every category has like four hundred fucking. Yeah, we're in number twenty-one, best horror okay. audio. Um, let's see, horror, etc. Daver Lab, B Movie Cast, Bloody Good Horror. Yeah, so I'll listen to one of these. I'm not saying which one. <laughs> That's horror, etc. Oh, so too. Well, pl- uh, oh, come on, you don't listen to oh B Movie Cast? Yeah. Oh, cool. I haven't checked it out yet. I need to. Yeah, I listen. Yeah, I listen. That's when I. That's when I download every week, but depends on whether or not the depends on the movie. Whether or right. not I actually fucking bother well, that's me on every podcast. I mean, because I'm subscribed to thirty, and there's no way I'm going to listen to thirty every week. I've cut it down to about ten. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, horror, etc. Tony and Ted always do a fucking amazing job over there. Absolutely. 
So, and that Cadaver Lab there, I don't know. I haven't listened to them. Is Sam back what? yet? No. No. <laughs> Who? Oh, whoa. We ground to a fucking halt. Oh, okay. Yeah, what do you say we take a break and we'll come back and talk about uh, whatever it is we're talking about? Sounds good. All right. We'll be back in just a minute. You're one ugly motherfucker. Are you looking for a podcast on the go? 10, 15, 20 minutes to all you have to listen to? Well, I'd like to introduce you to the Video Deadcast. 10, 15, 20 minute short episodes of what you need on horror and everything else. Else you need in a podcast. You, you can find me at videodeadcast.podomatic.com. Come and give a listen. Alright, we're back. We're going to be talking about Peeping Tom that came out in 1960. You, you know what, can I mention something real quick? Sure, please go uh, ahead. We were actually going to talk about... Uh, El Conte Draculia. Is that how he says it? How you say it? Sure, why not? <laughs> but uh, Stephen just didn't prepare enough for it, so I mean, we're gonna have to do that for a for a future episode. No, Stephen. Uh, Stephen didn't prepare. No, Mike didn't prepare. But yeah, uh, but well, I figure here's, here's the thing with here's the thing with that movie. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I kind of just threw it out there because it was one that I wanted to watch again. Right, and that's and, a Jess Franco, right? Yeah, Jess Franco, and. Uh-huh. It's what's the other one? Vampiros Lesbos. I love Vampiros Lesbos. There's a shitload of Jess Franco that's uh, better than this. Yeah, the, there is, and and the, <laughs> the reason I kind of picked this one, and I mean, basically, we can do every everybody knows the fucking Dracula story that listens Absolutely. to this show. Um, the 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 thing about Il Conte Dracula is the fact that you know it was first off they they used a lot from the book that hadn't been used before. Right, like uh, the appearance of Dracula, you know him having the mustache, the fact that he got younger as he you know, moved into London and started drinking. Right, you know, so there's a lot of stuff from the book, especially there in the first say fifteen twenty minutes of the movie, that was straight out of the novel that hadn't been used before. Mm-hmm. So, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, they do, and then they've got you know the big uh, you know chase back to Transylvania, right? Which which is in the book, but. You know, for the most part, you've got uh, Christopher Lee giving a hell of a performance. You've got uh, Klaus Kinski playing um, you know, Renfield. Yeah, I was kind of bugged at, at uh, that. I wish they had more Renfield because yeah. freaking Kinski was the man in this. Oh, he was amazing in this. And <laughs> but, it's sad. But Renfield's such a small, you know, role, really. Yeah, it is. But it's it's one of those, you know, he's just... But Kinski was so batshit fucking crazy anyway. <laughs> and but he's so subdued in this and creepy. Right. And and then you have the you have the fact that's just Franco. You've got Christopher Lee, you've got uh Klaus Kinski, you've got some amazing uh location shooting there in, mm-hmm. in Spain, you know, with all the castles and stuff. It's absolutely beautiful. But all all in all, it's it's a bit lacking. It, there's something just didn't click with this movie, you know, and you know what I found because I, I totally agree with you this. I mean, as far as uh, the movie itself goes, I mean, it's a great story, but I'll be honest with you. I've seen how many times have you seen the Dracula story or, or you know, read different versions of it or whatever. Uh, it, I, I realized that I can't I don't know what year this came out or anything like that. But after seeing Christopher Lee as, as Dracula again. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I 
I liked the movie, but I it didn't. It was is is almost like a low rent hammer, and I know that's I know that's like evil to say since Hammer was you know supposed to be all schlocky and whatever. But uh, I enjoy those a hell of a lot more. Well, I think it, it was, it's nice to see Christopher Lee away from the Hammer portrayal of Dracula, you know, a different take on the same character, and it just shows you know his range, what he can do with uh-huh. you know take that same character and you know put a whole new spin on it. But at the same time, again, it's it's the Dracula story, and it, right. it really wasn't enough there for us to engage in a full discussion with. So we just kind of let that slide in favor of uh, just talking about uh, Peeping Tom. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that, but let's be honest. We, we, we would have talked about it except for I just ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, Peeping Tom, 1960. Uh, it was directed by Michael Powell. Um, let's see. It was written by a guy named Leo Marx, and uh, he, he wrote the original story and screenplay. Uh, the budget was about 135,000 uh, pounds. It starred Carl Bohm now, as Mark. No, no 135,000 pounds. How many bags of sugar would that be? Oh, man. I know that this isn't a reference to something, a joke that we had earlier. But I cannot remember the joke because it's been uh, so long since no. we've done cadaver classics. <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, let's uh, Carl Bain. Okay, uh, Moira Shearer as Vivian, uh, Anna Massey as Helen Stevens, Maxine Oddly as Mrs. Stevens, Brenda Bruce as Dora, and uh, one of my favorite characters, although he's only on screen for a couple of minutes, Miles Mallison as elderly gentleman customer. <laughs> We'll we'll talk about that, him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you gotta uh, you gotta love elderly gentleman customer. He was <laughs> he was the highlight of the first ten minutes of the film. Anyway, uh, that freaking guy made me laugh. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, let's go over the plot. Views, you know what I'm talking about, you cheeky Ex- monkey. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> you know, it's funny is I actually well, you know, let me do the plot then. then sure. I'll explain this. Okay, so basically the film starts out, uh, you know, in late night in a in a London alley or a street, uh, or just a dark, deserted street. Except for in the corner, you see a prostitute hanging out underneath a, um, you know, like a street lamp. Uh, we see a man who we find out is Mark. He's wa- he walks towards the prostitute, puts his camera in his jacket, and starts it up. And uh, then we kind of take the perspective of the camera uh, as he's walking up, and you know, and, and, and uh, this is kind of the this is kind of one of the main themes of, of the movie. Obviously, it being called uh, Peeping Tom, but uh, it's a story about a guy who kind of lives through his camera. But he, you know, he walks up to the to the prostitute without saying a word. She basically just says, "Hey, it'll be two quid." Nothing else is said. Mark follows her to her room, watches her start to undress. She looks up. It, it, I'm explaining this in kind of detail because if I did the whole movie of this, this podcast would be four hours long. Mm-hmm. So it would, it would take me to actually explain it. It would take me longer than actually watch the movie. But I think that this is a pretty uh, – an opening scene that really sets the tone for a movie in a way that a lot – you know, that not too many opening scenes sets the tone for, you know, for, for the, the respective movie. Um, anyway, Mark follows in, her into her room. She starts to undress. Uh, you know, she looks up, she sees something. It looks, it almost looks like she's puzzled at first, and then you know, it kind of heightens. She becomes scared. She screams, and then uh, basically the next scene, we see Mark watching the the film back of uh, basically what had just transpired with the prostitute. 
Anyhow, that, that's that's basically how the the, the film opened. Uh, the very next scene, we actually see Mark at the crime scene the next day, uh, taking some footage of the the cops coming in and out, the crowd that's gathered on the street. You know, I guess basically, uh, almost like he's collecting these these memories, or and you know, in trying and he's trying to relive these over and over. But uh, you know, I don't know. I, I am I am I. Am I starting this off base? I just feel like that this this opening scene, these opening couple of scenes were were very indicative of what was to come, like more so than usual. Yeah, it def- definitely sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Uh, you know, everything uh, you can pretty much tell a great deal about the psychological makeup of this guy, um, right? Just you know, from from this opening ten minutes or so, um, he, he's a guy. That, I mean, you you have that. I guess you know thing with serial killers where you know they have to you know revisit and relive their right you know that's why they take souvenirs from the from the crime scene that's you know exactly. how a lot of these guys get caught but the, you know this is a guy yeah he he puts his murders on film and then goes back and uh records the aftermath as well you know in this film it's um it's. I mean, not not to get too far off the the subject of talking about the plot, but I mean, let me let's, let's look at Mark, who's you know the, the the main character of the whole movie. I think that what really uh, one of the main things that makes this movie for me is the fact that you know who Mark is and who his character is. Um, you know, in uh, basically that he's even you know somewhat sympathetic, and I realize I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, I mean, th- this whole movie basically what we do is we learn who Mark is and we learn kind of why he does what he does. Um, you know, he's, uh, I mean, really he's a, just a normal looking handsome dude, you know, who's, you know, maybe a little bit lonely and obviously socially awkward. Uh, however, uh, we know that, uh, even though he seems harmless and sympathetic in some scenes that basically if something piques his interest, if, if something kind of scratches the surface of something that he's obsessed with, he turns into this weird, obsessed guy who can only focus on 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 the the task at hand. I guess is is uh, is what we're saying. But anyway, go ahead. No, go ahead. And I was just going to say, also, I think one of well, you know, let, let me let me talk a little bit more. I don't want to I don't want to talk about Mark when we don't really know what's going on. But anyway. Uh, Mark's a cameraman in real life, you know, for his job. Well, not in real life, a movie life. But uh, he actually does, I guess he's a second assistant cameraman or, or something like that uh, on uh, different productions. But he also actually moonlights as, a, as a, some kind of a girly photographer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there, there's one part in the film actually where, uh, you know, very close to the beginning where, you know, Mark actually goes up to above uh, above uh, this. I guess it's a, like a little side store where half of it's like a porno shop and the other half is, uh, you know, just a regular general type of store. And and this is actually where the old guy that we talked about, the man in the the elderly gentleman customer. Mm-hmm. It was it was great. Dude walks in, asks for like probably two of the most respectable uh, newspapers issues of the of the two most respectable newspapers, and then asks, "Well, I can't remember the exact words, but he's like, so have you got any pictures?'" 
or something like that. And he has to kind of hope that the guy behind the counter figures out what he's talking about because he's too, he's too shy or, or uh, trying to hide what he's actually looking for, which is obvious. And this guy, I, I recognize the guy, but I don't, I can't tell you what he's from. No, I, but, I don't remember what else he's done, but yeah, he does look familiar. He's, you know, just this old kind of unassuming, very, you know, harmless looking old guy. But anyway, um, he goes upstairs and there are a couple of girls that are there waiting to be, uh, have their pictures taken. And, uh, this, it's funny because with this movie, with every different scene, uh, you know, you come across, there's, there's kind of another piece of the puzzle that gets added to the whole thing. Uh, basically Mark goes up and, and he kind of treats his business as usual with the first model, you know, she's talking to him there, you know, they're going back and forth. He seems to be just more interested in, you know, getting the picture taken and, uh, you know, getting, getting the job done. However, there's another model who this whole scene that we've only seen half of her face and when it comes time for him to take pictures of her, she turns around and looks into the camera and she's got some kind of a big scar on her on her lip. Now, for some reason, this really piques Mark's interest and, uh, um, you know, he kind of – and this is kind of when he turns into that the, the obsessive that I was talking about where he kind of goes from a, you know, uh, just a kind of a normal awkward guy – into and you kind of you see a little bit of um i i don't know a, a good word for it but you see a little bit of of whereas maybe his psyche is is uh becoming a little bit tattered where yeah. he you know he becomes he becomes very obsessed and focused only on you know the thing that interests him yeah and you know not to jump off into psychology of all this because i mean it's this huge topic but right right here you see w one of the statements i guess you could say that this movie makes is you know that whole the whole thing yeah you know, we slow down for a car wreck right this i mean th that's what we're talking about here he sees this something grotesque and he has to capture it right and you know immediately he's just completely transfixed by the sight of this uh girl's deformity uh -huh. And you know that's and it's one of the things. I mean, because this Michael Powell really goes out of his way to kind of indict the entire audience, right? As you know, yeah, he's this guy's a voyeur. He lives through his camera. But what the fuck are you people doing? You know, you're right, right here with us. Exactly. And and this is and this is one of those scenes that really speaks to that. That yeah, if there's something if there's something gross, we're going to fucking stop and look. That's <laughs> our human nature. But with him, it it is to the point of obsession, and you know we find out a little bit later more about why. But but yeah, this is one of the one of the key scenes and kind of you know where that statement comes out. You know, and it's it, even in this scene. I mean, it's a little bit awkward because he decides to to pull out his sixteen millimeter camera. And, you know, get some actual film instead of, you know, just take the snapshots, you know, which seems bizarre. But at this point, you know, it, I mean, we, it, except for the very first scene, I think his, his public persona still seems to be in the realm of, you know, not a freak, I guess. Right. Which, yeah, he, he's just a little, little socially awkward. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's right back to, you know, that kind of tradition of, well, Psycho would come out six months later, but it, right. it's that same kind of thing where, 
okay, yeah, there's something a little bit off about this guy, but he seems nice enough. He seems likable, like a likable guy, just a little, you know, just awkward. You know, and it, it's funny you mention that because, th- I mean, this film often gets compared to Psycho, not because it's the same type of story, but because of the similarities, I think, in the, in the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, and, and I was actually watching a documentary on this. Uh, let's see, I have the name of it here. It was on the Criterion release in the, let's see, it was called uh, A Very British Psycho. Mm-hmm. It actually talked a little bit about you know, the, the story in, in fans reaction and critic critical reaction to when the, the movie was actually released. But, uh, it said that, uh, and, and you touched on this a little bit before that, uh, um, one of the main reasons <clears throat> that, that he said there were two, there were two main reasons why people had such an adverse reaction to this. Cause everybody was coming out saying this is salacious, too shocking. It's sadistic. You know, it's, you know, just because for, for two main things, first of all, it's because just like you said, it, it kind of treats the audience uh, or puts the audience in the position of the, they themselves being voyeurs. And uh, also it, it kind of makes uh, Carl Bohm who, you know, Mark uh, a sympathetic character. You know where we're where we're all uh, you know we can I I, I guess we I, I don't know if we're rooting for him or anything like that obviously but I mean he's such an interesting character that I think I think we're all just kind of waiting for what's happening next and we're really I I don't know I don't I didn't feel like I was like rooting for him but he had kind of this this way of of appealing to to uh, I guess just interest making himself interesting yeah to and. Me. Yeah, that's uh, well. Again, yeah, of course, the comparison to Psycho, and right. then and then you know, of course, uh, you know, a movie we've talked about before, M, where mm-hmm. uh, you know you have a character that you know, you have the pitiful fucking character, right? You know, whereas you know it's it kind of hard to get behind the child killer you know that Peter Laurie portrayed, <laughs> mm-hmm. but as far as you know, not really as evil so much as you know somebody you have pity for. Right. Uh, you can really empathize with this character, and a lot of that has to do with uh, Bame's performance. It's uh, it's really really good. Absolutely, uh, yeah. He's every bit as good as uh, as uh, you know inhabiting this character as Perkins was with uh, Norman Bates. And, yeah, I, you know, and, I didn't the, think they were this. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, they're not not the same character. But as far as you know, a character, uh, an actor inhabiting a role. No, I totally. I, I was totally just going to agree with you. I just, I just didn't want to, to for people to think that this guy is a, you know, it's the same type of guy as is uh, Anthony Perkins is in Psycho. I mean, because they, they're two totally separate dudes, but they kind of fit under that same umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, like, like, and again, you know, there's there's so many things that drag the viewer into this movie. Uh, you like you see the murders through the same camera lens that uh, the killer does, right? For one, and even during the playback of like when he's going back and watching that first murder again, mm-hmm. you have you know you are actually watching what he is watching. It's not you know you don't see him in the foreground. He zooms right. into the actual screen so that you're you're watching what the killer is watching, and you become. You become like an accessory almost. 
And I then, think they've made people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if they were used to that, and absolutely. and I think that plays you, into the whole whole problem people had with this movie. I I I have to agree with you one hundred percent on this, and and you know we were joking about the you know old man coming in and hinting about the pictures, right? You know here we have an upstanding, respectable English gentleman with you know middle aged coming in in his you know nice suit, warning porn. Yep. I mean, and that's you know that's, that's something people don't want to talk about. Yeah, they don't want especially you know nineteen sixty. Right. Um, you know, you take a look at this movie and another one we've talked about, Black Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be seven years before Black Sunday would even get approved in England, like in a cut version. Uh, wow. You know, it's so we're talking about the seven year gaps, and you, that movie is so tame compared to this one. Mm-hmm. And so you are taking a look at the CD underbelly of kind of like the porn thing with him, you know, being a porn photographer. Then the fact that he is a fucking killer, right, and does it in such a way that you know you're you're indicted along with him, it it does have an unsettling effect as, as far as an audience member goes. You know, it makes me interested to wonder if uh, I mean, because every once in a while you'll hear like every year at Sundance somebody gets so offended in a movie they walk out. And, they freak out. You know, I wonder if the same type of thing happened with uh, with this back in when it came out in 1960. Yeah, it's just so fun because I mean, I also listened to some of the commentary, and it's in that was just. I mean, as I watch this, it. I mean, the themes are, are very, you know, make you uncomfortable. But at the same time, you know, it's it now that I let the old dudes watching porn. That's no big deal, you know, anymore. Yeah. I just, I mean, I just wonder if it if people didn't want to just didn't want to kind of look into themselves and maybe that was part of the, I mean, that's peeping Tom, I guess maybe, you know, that was the intended effect. I'm not sure. Yeah. I I think it absolutely was because when the script, the, when the script originally went before the British film association, yeah, they actually, the way it would work is they would, the, the film board in England would actually approve the script before, and do like maybe some rudimentary censorship before filming even started. Oh, really? And when this movie, when the script came up, they were like, yeah, this is fucking, you know, this might even help elevate uh, a public awareness of mental illness. Uh-huh. They were all for this movie, <laughs> and, but the way Powell shot it, I mean, he didn't deviate from the script in any right. significant way. But once you go from you know what's on the page to the pal's brilliant fucking direction, right? Uh, you end up with a completely different creature, and the same people that were uh, championing this movie turned on it as soon as it they saw the rough cut. They were like, "Oh my god, we cannot show this movie," right? And it proceeded to you know tear tear the shit out of it, and even uh, even in America. I think uh, there was a cheap black and white cut print was the only way you could see this movie in the 60s. And it was relegated to the Grindhouse Theaters in New York. But um, uh, That's uh, unreal. This seems to be very well constructed and directed and all that, to be relegated to the, 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 the type of the, those Grindhouse Theaters and stuff like that. I bet this stood out like a sore thumb. 
Well, it was, it was one of those things where the, the subject matter was considered, you know, so salacious that, you know, it kind of fell into that category. Mm. Um, because a mainstream audience, it just wasn't suitable. Or so, you know, everyone thought at the time. And uh, you, you, know, you mentioned the Criterion uh, release. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the Criterion re- release is the first time that this movie has finally been put back to as close to the original uh, Michael Powell's original intentions. Mm. And uh, the one person you need to thank for that is probably Martin Scorsese. He's a huge proponent of this movie. I think, didn't he even do the commentary on that? Uh, no, there was a, the commentary was, I, let's see, I can have it right here. Um, that's what did I do? It was, it was a British woman who, uh, who was, it's funny cause she was so detailed and like, so like, like to an unreal level, she would, she would watch it and, and, uh, as if she was, uh, telling you the story instead of just having it there mm-hmm. instead of just watching it. But let's see. I thought it's Scorsese, right. maybe, maybe he was behind the, I know he's behind get, uh, it had a lot to do with the restoration and, yes. uh, possibly even, uh, maybe the doc, one of the documentaries or something. Let's see here. Commentary. Commentary was done by in 1994 by a woman named Laura Mulvey, mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny because not only as, as I was trying to watch this, it, she is so like painstakingly detailed that it that uh, you know there's a lot of stuff that I, that she's very it, it almost seems like conjecture that she's adding to it. It's almost like she wrote like a like a thesis on the movie and 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 was just kind of explaining it as the as it was playing but i mean and, and also her her accent was very not her accent she had a british accent but i i think she may have been deaf or something like that because her some of the way that she that some of the way she spoke was very kind of hard to sit and listen to well she but, probably had balls in her mouth she probably didn't. Well, which I guess, where else, what better place for him? But, uh, well, she's British, right? I mean, that's... Well, yeah, that's how they get that. Exactly. But, no, but but if you can sit there and watch it and sit through some of the over-examination, over there's actually a lot of good details in it. But uh, I couldn't make it all the way through. <laughs> but, but whatever. Anyway, so, we you know, we get back to the movie. Uh it's the next scene, which is also uh, I, I keep just mentioning these awesome scenes. But basically, Marcus returns home, and uh, he lives in this kind of fourplex apartment building or something like that. And uh, he, as he's walking up to the front door, he notices that uh, one of the downstairs neighbors named Helen is having a birthday party. And uh, this is this is one of the. I, I, it's difficult to describe. I mean, I don't. I don't. I wouldn't describe it as beautiful or as creepy necessarily, but uh, basically he peeps into the window and he just, st- he just stands there staring into the window. And when you see that, uh, it, you know, at first the people don't realize what's going on, but as you see him in the background, it kind of was reminiscent of one of the old universal monster type scenes, you know, where he comes out of the shadows and you see him there for a minute, you know, and then obviously everybody down at the party notices him and he just walks up and, 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 uh, whatever. But, uh, basically Mark come or Helen comes out to be Mark. Helen is, is the dancer's neighbor, man. She is almost annoyingly nice. 
you know, basically asking all sorts of questions about Mark. Later on, she visits him with a piece of cake and some milk. She wants to get to know Mark. She finds out that Mark's actually the the landlord. The building was owned by his dad, and uh, he has a. She finds out he has a dark room upstairs with all his camera equipment. He does all the film processing and stuff up there. Obviously, I mean, I wouldn't want to take it down to the Walmart and, and get what he's got, uh, you know, set up there. But um, she, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, so Helen, she, Helen starts saying, "Hey, listen, I, I want to see some of the work that that you've done. I want to see a movie you've made." But in a just a real weird type of deal, he ends up showing her a film that his father made. Uh, it turns out his father was some was a scientist. Now I can't remember if he was a real scientist or just some kind of a pseudoscientist. Or, or whatever. Uh, but, I'm not mistaken. He was actually a very acclaimed psychiatrist. No, later, I, later on in the movie, you actually, uh, when when there's the murder on the movie set, they actually bring right. in a psychologist who who knew who him. was familiar right. with his father's work. Yeah, you're right. Uh, well, Mark's dad actually studied the effects of fear on people, and uh, and and actually used Mark. As one of his guinea pigs, uh, I, I so yeah, if that if that isn't Father of the Year material, I don't know what is. <laughs> well, no shit. It's like okay, so Mark apparently has all these we, these 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 films where his father, it, where, where you know where Mark himself is sleeping, and his father's is like shining him in the face with with a with maybe a reflection of a mirror or something like that and then he'll throw like a freaking gila monster on his bed <laughs> you know kid wakes up he's of course he's gonna be scared shitless and uh you know i, I just thought it's pretty funny but uh but, but, but Helen, don't tell me you don't do that to your kids you know what i'm typically asleep before my kids so because i i i just pass out too easily so i'm, I'm so they probably try to do that to me but you can't wake me up for anything but uh, anyway, in uh, in kind of a, a – uh, as if that wasn't strange enough, as Helen's watching the movie, she's starting to react to, you know, what's going on on screen. And she's asking all these questions and she's, you know, showing a physical reaction to, to what's going on. So what does Mark do? He pulls out his camera and starts filming her. And, yeah, and it's so and bizarre. It, it's, it's bizarre. It, but here, here's the thing. I mean just on the side here. Uh-huh. If I invite a chick over to watch a movie and she asks that many fucking questions during it, <laughs> I'm going to tell her to shut the fuck up and watch the movie or get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, she's she's like annoyingly chipper and, and talkative and, and and inquisitive. So Yeah, she she yeah, she's definitely she's but she is definitely affected by the the abuse that she sees, you know, that Poor Mark has, you know, undergone his father's hands. Right. And, you know, is this really a first date movie, just to be perfectly honest? Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, it's not like they were even on a date. They had met downstairs for a minute. She brings him up some cake, and she wants to see some of his films, so he shows her that? Well, consider, <laughs> well, considering, I guess, his other features are, you know, him... You know, that's a good point. Uh, that is a great point. That's probably the only thing he could show her. Yeah, that's probably... <laughs> Between exactly that and all his jack-off videos, which is all I have in my collection, me jerking it. Maybe I ought to put those on YouTube. Yeah, you you might. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Um, oh, yeah. Well, you know, okay, so the movie moves along. We, 
you know, you you talked about the TV set. Mark is on a on a, on a uh, I guess they were filming some kind of a television show or something like that, and, and he's he's a cameraman on it. Basically, what he does is he sets up some time after the actual shooting to film a stand-in after hours. It was just kind of a bizarre scene. She, you know, she warms up with some dancing, and and there's this whole production type of deal. Uh, basically, he just uh, stabs her and puts her in a giant trunk, but but he leaves it on the set now. And this was the this was the first kill where we actually see, and correct me if I'm wrong, where we actually see that on his tripod and his camera, there's, it's actually kind of a, like a, a you, you pull off one of the bottoms. There's a knife there, right? And and what he does is he is he puts all three of the legs in on the tripod, tripod, pushes that one out, very phallic looking, and then stabs him through the neck with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that way the the camera is shooting like straight down over top of the knife and the perfect view of the face of the victim. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. This movie is not that gory. Uh, Most of, I mean, your kills are close-ups of the victim's face and Mm -hmm. it, it, it it works for a couple of reasons. First, you know, when we get to the climax and see what's going on in his head and, you know, there's something going, going on there that particularly requires the face, but, the other thing, um, like thinking back to uh, 1933, uh, Hedy Lamar did a movie called Ecstasy, and it mm-hmm. was a huge fucking outrage over it, partially because she had nude scenes. But the big thing was that they showed a close-up of her face having an orgasm. Really? And I don't know whether you've ever seen a woman have an orgasm. What's an orgasm? It's, it's this thing they do. Girls? Yeah. Or so, really? so I heard tell. Oh, okay. But um, there's that Harry Met Sally thing. They make a bunch of noise and shit. I don't know. Oh, I don't watch that movie. Yeah. But it, but anyway, I mean, this was a huge fucking scandal because they showed a close-up of her face while she was having an orgasm. Mm-hmm. But but it, it, there's so much intensity in that kind of a shot. You know, the close-up of the face, the reaction that's going on there. And you get that with this movie where you're, you're you know, zoomed right in on the victim's face at the moment of death. And it re- really requires some skill on the part of these actresses to make it, you know, in the absence of gore and, you know, all the things that we're used to now. In, well, order, to, not... in order to fucking sell the horror of the scene, you've got to have some pretty in, intense acting there. And I think the actresses here, you know, all the victims did a really good job of selling that fucking horror. Right. And, and from what I'm, what, if I'm not mistaken, basically, I think the, the lady who played the, the woman in this scene was actually, uh, kind of a well-known, was this Brenda Bruce as Dora? I, I think that's who that was. And apparently she was, she was actually, you know, somewhat of well-known actress that just showed up for this one scene. Mm-hmm. Though, I mean, she, I mean, it's no, it's no surprise that she was, you know, uh, you know, a- had acted a lot of times. I mean, she was a gorgeous woman and, uh, you know, so, I mean, it, it she, I, like you said, I think she did a great job, you know, not only, not only in her death scene, but even in the, even in the scenes leading up to it, even though it made me feel a little uncomfortable with all that dancing and stuff. Yeah. The, the dancing, that was, that was kind of awkward. I mean, right. I, don't, I don't know what scene that they thought that she thought they were going in there to shoot. 
Yeah. But she's, you know, I'm going to warm up by, you know, some interpretive, doing some interpretive dance. Interpretive dance. And yes. It, yeah, it's jazzy. You know, I mean, it was, it was kind of weird and off-putting, but at the same time, it was like, okay, I, it, it's the 60s. Just about everything had a fucking dance number in it. So, <laughs> the, oh, yeah. I'm trying to, there was some other movie I was watching not too long ago. I don't remember what it was. Uh, but it was just like, okay, we have to have a song in here. So, uh, we'll just kind of shoehorn it in and you, and you'll see that. And like in the Bogart movies, like the lead actress always had a fucking song regardless of what, regardless of what the fucking movie was, (laughs) you know, the, the Warner brothers, I guess just had this thing where, you know, they had to stick a song in. So, and, and Michael Powell, he, you know, he'd, he'd done an actual opera on film. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, the Tales of Hoffman that we kind of glossed over last on the douche cast. Mm. But that, uh, all that color, you, if you paid attention during um, uh, whatever, the, uh, Tetro, when, it, when, when we'd go to like the weird scenes like them dismantling the, the woman that was a doll. Right. Yeah, that was Michael Powell's work. Uh, from oh really? Tell, yeah, that was from the movie Tales of Hoffman. Oh, interesting. So you know, th- that's what I was saying. It was nice of Scorsese to have the good taste to put a, a good movie. You mean not- of uh, Coppola? Yeah, Coppola. Who does say? Scorsese. Scorsese. Yeah, I'm sorry. I got Scorsese <laughs> on the brain. But yeah, yeah, Coppola putting uh, uh, a Michael Powell movie in there. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna just I'm gonna gloss. I'm, I'm just gonna skip the the desire to want to bash on Tetro a little more. Yeah, <laughs> but but yeah. So I mean, Michael Michael Powell was used to doing musical numbers, and so I mean, for for what it's worth, it seems out of place in this movie. But it, it was well staged. <laughs> well you know, in in this whole scene though sets up one of my favorite scenes. Uh, basically, because I mean, so we have this lady who was put into the trunk and was actually found, you know, the next day as they were shooting on the same stage or, or whatever that is. And, you know, they called in the police and everything like that and it made the news. Well, the next day, Mark meets uh, Helen's mother and uh, she's blind. But, uh, you know, I guess if you're uh, there, this whole scene. Uh, I guess what what was going on is uh, uh, I guess Mark and Helen were going to go out on a date and, you know, Mark comes to pick her up and they Mark and Helen's mom kind of have this uh, this awkward exchange mm-hmm. where, you know, and there, and there wasn't really anything blatantly weird. It's just you could tell that that uh, Mark's mom was or not. Sorry, I'm sorry. Helen's mom was very suspicious, you know, when he was you know asking him all sorts of questions, asking him if he knew the the, the girl that they'd found in the trunk and, and whatnot. But uh, they go out, and as they come back, and, uh, you know, Helen oh, – there was a whole other weird scene right here, too, that I was just about to skip over where where Mark drops Helen off. Helen gives him a kiss, and then Mark puts the camera up to his lips mm-hmm. after she walks away. It's just kind of like a – uh-oh, there's, a, there's another crack. Yeah, exactly. And it's just weird. But uh, my favorite scene of the movie, he goes back upstairs. He, I guess he puts together his film and uh, uh, he starts watching it, watching one of the films that he's put together. I think it was, it was actually the one where Helen was watching the movie and she was, you know, showing how scared she was of, you know, of, uh, 
or her reaction to the movie that Mark showed earlier. But all of a sudden, um, Mark finds out that uh, Helen's mom is in there, has come up to the apartment, walked in. By the way, you'd think a guy like that would lock his freaking front door. It burns him two times. But uh, so she's there hiding in the darkness. And he turns on the movie, and of course he's a little freaked out when when Helen's mom makes a noise. Uh, and and, and just, uh, just just a sec, did uh-huh. did we mention the fact that his Helen's mom is blind? Uh, if we didn't, we should have. Yeah, we, we should have to. mentioned that. Yeah, yeah she's totally blind. And uh, you know, as they were talking, you know, they're like, well, he's like, what are you doing up here? Blah blah blah. You know, I brought Helen home early. She's like, thank you very much. And they start to talk, and. Uh, Something startles Mark. She says, "You know, I've uh, you know I visit this room all the time. Uh, one of the best lines of the movie." She said, uh, "What was it? Uh, something the the blind live in the rooms that they live under, or something like that." Yeah, the blind always live in the rooms they live under. Anyway, so I, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what happens, but Mark decides to put the movie on where the actress died in it while the mother is in the room, right. and. Uh, what happens is he is totally crushed when he finds out that the lights died too soon when, uh, you know, while he was filming this woman dying or killing this woman. And, you know, he's, he, he was just so heartbroken that he had lost the opportunity and now he, you know, has to find another woman to murder. And this is kind of when he turns his, his, uh, his attention to Helen's mother. And th- this scene, it, Again, this is a, for me. It's a hard one to describe, but the Helen's blind mother being in there and very close. It doesn't know what's going on. She get, becomes very disoriented because the lights, you know, get turned off and then turned on, and she can feel the heat on her skin, things like that. And she knows that something's going on. And Mark gets out his tripod, to, you know, to and starts thinking about, you know, taking it to her, but. Um, you know, it turns out that, uh, you know, they talk it out or one thing happens, one thing leads to another and, and uh, she ends up getting out. But, you know, that not after this huge freaky incident with uh, with Mark. Anyway, what do you think about that scene? That was my favorite one in the movie. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. It's one of those things because first off, you've got the only person that he can watch one of these movies with. Right. Because she can't see what's going on. Exactly. But yet at the same time, the the blind woman is the one that sees right through him, you know, yep. no pun intended. Right. And it's, it is a fucking creepy scene. It's, but yet, and you almost, I don't know about you, but I almost wanted him to be able to, you know, if the story had taken another direction, almost wanted him to have some kind of connection with her. So that he, you know, maybe this might be the one person that could kind of ground him in some kind of reality. But it doesn't fucking work that way at all. No. Well, no. it's probably – it's bad news since he's like quote-unquote dating her daughter anyway. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> but it's – well, I'm, and I'm not talking about like a, like a physical connection. Well, no, no. Of course. I'm just saying that that I don't know if you'd want to confide in a woman who who needs to trust you with her daughter. Well, I'm, well, I'm not. I'm not saying even so much confide, but mm-hmm. but the fact that you know he can have her in the same room with him while he yeah. watches the stuff, you know, it, it make him less isolated. Uh, right. He obviously can't share the stuff with uh, the daughter. 
Well, you know, and and that brings up a good point because I mean, even though she's blind, she has a good, she senses what's good that something is not right. First of all, when she meets Mark, and then again when you know she's up there, uh, you know, even when the movie's going on, in in Mark's reaction to being disappointed because the light faded too quickly, she knows something's wrong. She, but you know, I mean, there's really nothing she could do about it. Mm-hmm. You know, but. I don't know. I I thought that scene was awesome. Oh and, yeah, it's uh, amazing. Uh, well, and, and by the way, forgot to mention that the police are kind of uh, starting to uh, you know at least if not suspect to start to you know do their investigation. You know, Mark's part of the investigation. Uh, but anyway, to so wrap this up real quick, uh, Helen goes up to visit Mark one day, and of course he's not home, and he left his uh, his. Uh, uh, door unlocked. Helen goes in. Uh, she decides to look around. Her inquisitive nature coming out again. She ends up, you know, flipping on the projector and watches one of the films. Uh, we don't really see which one it is, but you know, because the camera is just on her and her reaction to it. Mm-hmm. She realizes what's going on and cowers back in fear. And and Mark returns home to to catch her watching the film. Uh, I don't know how much more we want to go in, but uh, that leaves for uh, an outstanding ending scene. Oh, yeah. It's an amazing fucking ending. And it's it's one that that you're not going to see coming by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. So, yeah, I think it's probably best to leave it there. I do. I, I totally agree with you. I don't know. I, I loved this movie. I, and, uh, I mean, I'm, gl- I'm actually glad that I had the opportunity to – to you know, watch you know some of the the commentary and also some of the that documentary that came on the Criterion. Just because I mean, it, it's like it's, a lot of these things were there. In, in 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 as I was watching it, there was something about them that was hard for me to kind of put a finger on exactly why I was feeling the way I did. But you know, the 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 commentary I think did a good job of saying, well, here's what's going on exactly. You know, here's what here's what the director wanted. Uh, for instance, one thing is is um, you know it's you know the it's almost like Mark was two guys, and you know he'd go into his dark room where he had the power, where he was in in control, you know where he could do what he wanted to do. He was a different person in there than he was even in his regular apartment, and you could tell he treated people differently inside the the dark room as opposed to when they came out even into his front room you know his whole kind of demeanor changed mm-hmm. and uh, you know there for every scene that you watch in this there's a subtle there's something that's going on that's very subtle you know it's different in, in you know for different scenes but there's always more going on than what it looks like oh yeah and I mean there's there's a reason Michael Powell is the as it claimed as he was up to, well, up to this point, this movie pretty much destroyed his career for years. And it wasn't until, you know, people like Scors- uh, Scorsese started saying, no, you, you people need to watch this fucking movie. It's right. It's brilliant. And in, in the seventies, he started to get his respectability back. But, and I think of the top, like the BFI's <laughs> list of 100 greatest movies. BFI? BFI. Or the British, British film Institute. Ah. Uh, of the hundred top British movies, five of them belong to Michael Powell. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, he and um, a man by the name of Emery Presserberg, Presser, yeah, Press, Presserberg, I believe is the name. Mm. They had this kind of writing duo. 
uh, the writing, producing, directing. They worked worked together on nineteen movies. They met while working on uh, a spy movie starring Conrad Veidt back in mm. like nineteen thirty five, I believe. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, this guy's first movie was in the thirties. Yeah, I mean, and, in like on thirty in in nineteen thirty. Yeah, and so and before be, yeah, before that, he was a still photographer for a few of Alfred Hitchcock's silent movies. Ah. So he, he was a lifelong friend of Hitchcock's. And that's one of the things that's, that's funny that, you know, this and Psycho came out within months of each other. And one of the reasons that Hitchcock refused to do uh, press screenings for Psycho was because he feared the same kind of backlash that Peeping Tom ah. because they were treading in, you know, that same kind of territory. Right. So... Yeah, so you know, that bums Michael, me out Powell, Michael Powell's experiences really kind of affected the way Hitchcock went about presenting Psycho. Right. It's it's just it's it's unimaginable to me to watch a movie that that is so that, I don't know it, it, it's almost like it it puts the mirror back on the audience a little bit, and that's why they that's why there's that's why they they had this outrage. It, yeah, no, no. It's it's bizarre. I mean, this is the the experience of this movie is is uh, I mean, unlike most movies that I watch, especially being a big horror fan, you know, where it's all whatever. But yeah, this movie does really force you to examine that dark part of yourself that you know, we talked we've talked before about. You know, what is what is the appeal of a fucking horror movie? You know, why do we watch this shit? And mm-hmm. you know, this is a movie that says you know, puts it right in your fucking face and forces you to examine it. And well, you know what I learned, don't you? What did you learn? About, about my dark, about my dark uh, recesses of my soul. That there is none. Oh, really? It's all, it's all sunshine and rainbows in here, baby. Yeah, that and Skittles. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I shit. Yeah. Shittles. <laughs> Shittles. <laughs> oh, man. No, this is an amazing movie. Michael Powell's an amazing director. Um, Another uh, famous proponent of uh, Michael Powell, uh, George Romero, uh, says that uh, The Tales of Hoffman, I believe, is his favorite movie of all time. Really? One of my favorite movies growing up is uh, Powell's version of The Thief of Baghdad. Mm. Uh, It's great if you're into the kind of the Arabian Nights, sword and sorcery type thing. I think it's 1954. Uh, brilliant fucking movie. It's available on Netflix streaming. Uh, there's The Red Shoes, which was uh, probably the most famous of the Michael Powell, uh, Pressburg movies. So, I mean, a lot of good stuff there as far as Michael Powell to you know explore if you're interested in going a little deeper. Sure. But, uh, but as far as horror goes, he definitely set a new fucking standard with this movie. Well, and and this is I, I've I've watched this movie now three times. You know, in the I watched it in the beginning, then I watched it a couple weeks ago, and then I just threw it on today as I was putting notes. So I guess two and a half times. But you know, it, it's it every with every rewatch, there's something new. There, I mean, it's it, it's just it gets better. So I don't know. I guess that's really I don't want to put any more of its balls in my mouth or anything. But I'll start sounding like a Brit. Yeah, you don't you don't want that to happen. Of course not. Um, you know what? There's one thing that I would be remiss if I did not mention. Okay. Um, this being cadaver, uh, you know, a cadaver lab show. Uh, 
the, the tripod is a metaphor for a boner. That's it. I said it. No, that's all I needed I'm, to say. Oh yeah, there's no doubt this is a phallic fucking reference. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> The, the, there's no mistaking that. The first time he unsheaths it, it's like, yeah. uh, cock. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We, uh, yeah, we definitely, um, yeah, notice that right off the bat. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the ties to the pornographic industry, you know, the, I mean, it's, right. it's, it's not hidden. Like you said, there's so, so much to fucking see so much depth to this movie. But at the same time, a lot of the stuff is right fucking out there in your face. And, and one of them is, is the phallic reference when, <laughs> so, you know, it's there. What you going to do? Nope. That's it. Oh man. So yeah, this was a good, this is a good movie. This is uh, one of my favorites that we've done on classics so far. We do a lot of good movies too. Well, that's why it's called classics. classics. Yeah, I guess. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, sweet man. Uh, anything else you got for this? Um, no, that's, 